It's interview time. Today's guests, Patrick and Zoria Belanger. Patrick was actually supposed to be one of my first guests, but we couldn't get our schedules to match up, so we just kept putting it off. Patrick and Zoria are a great example of a hardworking, loving power couple. You're going to start noticing a theme over time here, and that's the most successful real estate investors are couples. You need a strong, reliable partner if you're going to grow your real estate investment business while still tending to your daily responsibilities. Zoria and Patrick are both engineers, loving parents to their son Cassian, and they've got a new baby on the way. They're the owners of Bree Properties out of Edmonton, and Zoria is one of the co-founders of the Real Estate Moms Mastermind. In this interview, we talked about how they started their real estate investment business, how they've now transitioned to multi-family investing. We talked about how to access equity out of your existing properties to reinvest and buy more. And we also talked about the struggles of being a parent and employees while still trying to grow your business. All right, no more delays. Here it is. Zoria, Patrick, how are you doing? Great. How are you? I am fantastic. I brought Gabby along for this interview. I hope that's okay. Absolutely. <laughs> <It> better be. <laughs> Um, you know, why don't we just start off by, but with you guys telling us a little about yourselves for the audience. Sure. So we're, um, we've been real estate investors since 2013. Uh, we're married. We have a son who is two, almost three, and we're expecting another one soon as well in May. Congratulations. Um, yeah. Got a couple. Yeah, we have a, like one project on the go right now, but I'm sure we'll dive into all of that a little bit later. Yeah, but, for sure. Uh, yeah, but uh, basically I'm um, full-time employed. Zori's full-time real estate investor, but as a team, we work together to, um, well, to grow our business, do our family life, do all that stuff that everyone is, is working towards. So, yeah. And that's kind of the, the, the first section I wanted to start on. The first question I had was because, um, you know, you know the, the theme of this podcast is about you know, whether parents or, or working investors or whatever it may be, it, it's about trying to find that balance of having a life and, and priorities. And, um, and then also at the same time, trying to grow your business as investors, right? So can you guys kind of touch on your relationship dynamic in your business? Yeah, well, I would say it definitely has changed since we had our son. Like before that, we were like, we would do almost everything together or you know, like our roles were a lot more equal like we would take share responsibilities of cooking and cleaning the house and and we would both be working full-time but then once um, we had our son that changed quite a bit because I suddenly was not working but we saw it as an advantage that we could spend focus more time I would focus more time on real estate and grow the business while Patrick still works Mm -hmm. And that's why a reason that we, I decided not to go back to work after my mat leave is because we could, um, could grow our business because otherwise it would be a lot more difficult if we were both still working. At what point, um, during your mat leave, did you make that decision? Did you know going into it that that might be a possibility or was it like a last minute, Hey, wait, like this is something we could do. Uh, for me, I think, I think four years before we got pregnant, at that time I was always already thinking that I would, didn't want to go back to work. 
and um but it was still it was during my mat leave it was probably about a few just a few months before that we have finally officially made that decision and we just yeah. determined that it was a, almost a strategic move for me not to go back so i could have more time we could have you know raise cassian at home um, i could teach him ukrainian and all the things that were important to me and as well have time to focus on the business as well because we knew that financially we would be fine if we did that uh, yeah. Well, that's, that's great um, yeah. that you guys have that flexibility and that assurance that the, the income is always going to be there to take care of your home. Um, do you struggle with the trying to be a mom and focus on investment uh, tasks at the same time? I know Gabby, she had a lot of trouble with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's always challenging. And even as like your kid grows, it changes all the time. <laughs> so it's actually been getting a lot easier in the last year. Like as Cassie gets older, he's able to play on his own a lot better. So I get a bit more time to do things <laughs> around the house while he's playing. Um, so it was a lot more challenging at the beginning, definitely when even, especially since I wasn't getting enough sleep. <laughs> yeah. But it is getting easier and we finally, yeah, are getting into a routine. And I think that's one of the ways that are, we are managing right now is that I have a very predictable weekly schedule now. So with the help of some family and Cassie's going to play school now, I have set blocks of time during my week that I can work and focus on work and getting things done. And so I just focus on trying to be as efficient as possible and organized so that I can get the most out of that time. One thing that's kind of silly, but it is, it is really important to have good routines because if you don't, you just try and hope that it all works out. It just doesn't. Right. And like, you know, sorry, go ahead, Patrick, please. Well, what I found is that you try and get yourself into a routine, but when you have new kids, things change so fast. Yeah. Um, like from week one to week two to month, like to six months to a year, and the needs of the child are changing. The needs of the relationship are changing. The needs of the family are changing. And so you, you have to really, you think you're getting into routine and you're trying to establish something, but you also have to recognize you have to be flexible and you have to understand what are your needs at that point. Um, and, you know, balance that like the needs of the, the family or the child with, um, you know, the needs of the business and just be able to, uh, to evolve with it or roll with it and just recognize that that is the normal. And, um, and if you're able to do that and do it quickly, you're able to, like, it's a lot easier to, to move forward and, uh, and keep doing what you have to do. You got to leave a little time. It doesn't work. Yeah. You got to leave a little flex time too, like a little buffer because, you know, you, you fill up that schedule and you're like, okay, five to five thirty, I'm doing this, uh, six to whatever I'm doing this, but then something comes out of the blue. Right. And then especially with kids, like they, they, they don't follow your schedule. If you got to be up by five, you should be expecting to be leaving by five fifteen because they can't get their boots on or, you know what I mean? <laughs> totally. Yeah. But, or they'll um, miss a nap or they'll, you know, any of that stuff. And again, it's just being flexible and accommodating some of that stuff. Yeah. 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 And so I got this thing where I find that like there's a success curve um, for us as investors. Like, as we start to grow, we're able to take on more, but then eventually we're not able, like some things just kind of get pushed off to the side, like cleaning, like smaller tasks. And, and as we're growing, we find there's a point where you can start affording you know to pay for cleaning to pay for daycare stuff like that but until you reach that peak you're kind of at this this point where you are completely overwhelmed you're growing but you're completely overwhelmed but you don't have enough funds or cash flow in order to start delegating things 
So have you guys started delegating or outsourcing any of your tasks for your business or for your, for your home? We kind of started delegating from day one. Um, so when we were starting to build our business and starting to add, like in real estate investing, we knew we needed a team because we knew that that would be necessary, like basically necessary in order for us to grow. So right from day one, we started with, um, you know, making sure that we had a good team around us. So um, good property manager, good bookkeeper, um, good accountant, all of that, uh, like basically that infrastructure, good realtors, basically that support network that would be able to allow us to, um, for lack of a better term, leverage their experience and their abilities and not have to make those same mistakes from day one. And so with that, you know, like right from day one, we said, okay, here's the pieces that we're going to delegate. And then when it comes to our business, we'll focus on developing the systems, um, working on, on the growth side. So yeah, it had to be there from day one. Um, additionally, when Guazori and I both working at the time, we said, okay, well, the business is long-term. The business is buy and hold. It is for, um, you know, the future of wealth creation. Um, and so, but it was our day-to-day -day jobs, like our basic, our, our careers that we were working that were able to fund, you know, some of these additional expenses. Now that said, we wouldn't buy a property unless it could itself support all of its activities and right. uh, including things like bookkeeper and, um, and property management and everything like that. Those are just expenses. Um, but yeah, from day one, we were setting up like that. Yes. We had to find properties from the very beginning that had enough cash flow that would support that. But yeah. Okay. We just knew we couldn't do it all. It just came kind of from necessity because we were working full time. Uh, we didn't have the time to be landlords and do all of that at the same time, because not only were we working, I was a lot involved in dance and volunteering and Patrick had a lot of activities that we didn't just want to give that up. Mm -hmm. um, so we just, yeah, it made sense to hire somebody like a property manager who would take care of that landlording stuff who already had systems in place for qualifying and screening tenants. And we could just focus on building our portfolio and focus on joint ventures. Do you guys want to talk about your careers and your, your background of education? Sure. Actually, yeah. that'll give us a pretty good understanding for how we got to where we are and, mm -hmm. um, and I guess where we're going. Yeah, let's go back. So I guess we can go back really to when we first met because we've been working together since probably around 2004. Um, so we were met in university. Um, in first year university and so um, struck up a friendship and you know we're best friends essentially for a year and before we started dating and so started, started dating in second year university but along the way we were studying together we were helping each other we were working together uh, right through um, right through university so uh, helping each other with labs helping each other with homework assignments and then you know even supplementing when one couldn't take notes and you know, <laughs> for each other. so we couldn't have gotten through university with each other. Yeah, it was, it made it a lot more pleasant and it was no question. It was the hardest thing I think we ever did was getting through engineering together, but it really, you know, cemented our relationship. We were, we were best friends and pretty strong um, from that. Mm -hmm. After that, after graduating from university, we actually went to Europe for five months. And mm -hmm. if you want to understand how another person is and whether you can hang out with them, hang out with them for five months with nobody traveling. Else. Well, traveling. Yeah. Um, so again, it just, it, uh, it was a lot of fun. We were able to, you know, experience a lot of cool things together, but then also at the same time, coordinate, plan, figure out, you know, what, uh, what we were going to be doing, where we we're going to be staying. And just, again, more working together, just in a different dynamic. Mm -hmm. 
Then when we came back from Europe, we well, that, like really confirmed our relationship because mm -hmm. I think most people would have been like sick of each other by the end. Apart, <laughs> like oh my god, he has to go home now, and we're not going to be able to be together for twenty four hours The European stress test <laughs> <laughs> worked well. <laughs> we made her through it, um, and I'm glad we did because uh, you know to find that out two months in would have been <laughs> kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah. But. Um, yeah, so then when we came back um, from that trip, it was the last economic downturn. It was the end of 2009, um, but because we had work experience and, um, and some contacts in the industry, we're, we were able to find jobs. And so we started working in- As two, engineers. Yeah, as engineers, we started working in uh, 2010, like January 2010, and basically, again, continued to um, just, you know, build our careers. Um, and it wasn't until we were a couple years into our jobs, like uh, 2012 or so, we started, like we were established, we were feeling good about it, feeling confident, and we started to say, okay, great, now we're going to keep doing this for another 33 years, and, and then we can re retire and go traveling again. Yeah. <laughs> so then we were like, well, you know, we started exploring more, um, looking into more of the financial education stuff, and, uh, um, and you know, Zoria actually, we were doing lots of audiobooks and that sort of thing. And Zoria yeah, found just trying one. to figure out like now what? Like, are we just going to work right. for the rest of our lives? We didn't really have anything as far as like investments or right. retirement plans. So, like, we started thinking about that kind of stuff. And yeah, then we started listening to a lot of audiobooks. We listened to one called, it was like a variant of Rich Dad, the Retire Young, Retire yep. Rich. And um, that's the one that really kind of, gave us the idea first that real estate is and real estate investing is a thing that people right. do and like we just end that being an entrepreneur and a business owner is something that mm -hmm. is possible and that's something we could do. Um, do you ever yeah. stop and think about like how much or what you thought real estate investing was back then compared to what you think it is right now? Yeah, like we had no idea. <laughs> I talked talk to new investors and I'll start like flooding them with this information. And I got to remember like, wow, Wayne, you didn't understand any of this when you no. started. Right. I, like I remember like, like having an idea of like, okay, maybe we could have a rental property, but I had no idea how that was possible at right. all. I just didn't understand. How would there's, you be able to afford that? <laughs> yeah, there's so much learning involved in real estate investing. It's yeah. unreal. No question. Like I started looking into how to become a realtor because I thought that was the way to go. That's yeah. what everybody assumes, right? That's yeah. how you're going to find the deals. You have to become a realtor to do it. Everybody yeah. assumes that we're realtors. <laughs> Well, and yeah, so like it wasn't until we got exposed to that um, that we even knew it was a thing. Yeah. Now, even after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like that equivalent, um, we were just like, oh, okay, build a business. Like that's what, that's what we should be doing. Mm -hmm. And so we had a number of engineering friends at the time that we all went through school together. And we, I remember having meetings with them and saying, okay, well, what type of a business could we form together? And, you know, we're, none of us were professional engineers yet. Um, like we're still um, engineers in training. And we realized at the time, like, well, we don't have any silver bullets or, you know, uh, or enough experience or mileage to be able to consult at this point. Um, and so that was where it was like, we parked that idea and then and Zori started exploring real estate investing and started looking into whether real estate investing in Alberta or Edmonton was a thing or possible or possible. Right. And as it turns out, it was. We had no idea. Like living and growing up in Edmonton our whole lives, you know, the construction that goes around and all the buildings being built you just think that's normal but we were we were living in a boom of real estate times at that time in 2013 and we didn't really know it well 2000 like um 
2006, 2000, right. like basically 2005 to 2007. Um, we were both in university at the time. And yeah, we didn't realize that, okay, well, all this construction and the really bad traffic and stuff like that, well, that meant good things for the province. Mm -hmm. yeah. It just meant, oh, this is frustrating. Um, yeah. yeah, totally. <laughs> And so, so then I actually did some research and I found, okay, there actually are a lot of real estate investors in Edmonton. And it turns out Edmonton was the best place to invest in Alberta at the time. Right. It still is. And so that's when you I just discovered right. Yeah. You talk to anyone in Ontario and they're just like, oh, wow, you guys have it so good over there. You have no idea. <laughs> cash flow. Yeah. You guys have cash flow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like we had no idea. <laughs> so I just like did some research online, found Rain Real Estate yeah. Investment Network at the time. Um, and really it was like, I was, I watched all the testimonials that they had on their website at the time. And it was really Corey and Tiffany Young's testimonial and their story of how they formed their business that really confirmed and um, we made, they made us believe that we could do the same thing and that we could also create a real estate business. So like, they were the first ones that we that I found as well, and I started following them online and trying to see whatever free videos I could find at that yeah. time. But yeah, they were they were they were definitely the ones that uh, that gave us the assurance as well. Yeah, and I think because we were always like we're always education is really important to us. Like when we don't necessarily dive into something without mm -hmm. getting educated first. So I just figured like I just signed up with not too much other research. I just figured this sounds like the place to start. And so we signed up, we did the acre about a month later and that's when we really got like started rolling and we were both on the same page really from the very beginning, which helped. Mm -hmm. It's not like one of us had to convince the other that this was a, something to do. Yeah. So when you were signed up in a room of two or 300 other people and you realize, holy crap, all these people are doing the exact same thing and they're successful. That really inspires you. It gives you that certainty that this, yeah, this is something you can do and you can build a platform. Yeah. Yeah, so in September of 2013, Zoria signed up for Rain, and at the time, I was working a plant shutdown, mm -hmm. um, and so I was working basically um, six days a week, um, 12 to 14 hours a day, and, uh, and you know, coming out of that and hearing about, uh, about Rain and then jumping into an acre basically immediately after that shutdown and realizing, hmm, you know, there's a potential that you could have control of your time. Mm -hmm. uh, that really cemented some of the why behind, uh, you know, us forming our business and getting into it. And we were fortunate because going into that acre, we knew exactly what we needed because of, you know, we were able to get the audio from previous acres and I was able to listen that to and from work. And in going through that, we said, okay, coming out of this acre, we need to have, you know, a realtor, a property manager, a bookkeeper, you know, a, a, a mortgage broker, and basically our entire team all um, lined out. And so, and in that room, we were able to basically land or find all of those people and mm -hmm. get started immediately. So that's where, again, we said, okay, we know exactly what we need to do um, and had a plan. And so we started saying, okay, well, we've got all this equity in our condo that we purchased in 2010 together and tried to pay down as quickly as we could uh, in that mindset, but we had all this equity there. And so we converted the mortgage into a, um, a joint product with a HELOC and we we're able yeah. to use that as our down payments for our first couple of rental properties that we purchased in the next couple of months. Um, so, and then after, go ahead. Rewinding back to when I said earlier about how most people have no idea about any mm. investing other than the, that they're buying an asset and this asset might go up in value because real estate always goes up. That's all they see. And a lot of people are like, Hey, slow down, slow down. Can you tell me a little more about this equity and this 
and this refinance and this HELOC thing and how does that work? Can you kind of dive a little deeper on the interest portion of that, how the actual process works and how you can leverage equity to invest it into more real estate? Sure, do you want to take that? Well, yeah, so let's start off. We, like, we just had a, just a regular mortgage on our condo and like we were able to pay it off quite aggressively. We, we didn't pay it off, but we were, because um, we were both working, like we put most of our, we doubled our payments and stuff like that. So over the course of several years, we had already paid down much of the mortgage mm -hmm. and we had equity there. So, but in order to access that, we had to convert our mortgage. We basically had to get a new mortgage, which allowed us to have a, a mortgage portion and a home equity line of credit portion. Right. We could access that equity. Yeah. And we had about, yeah, we had enough in there for about two down payments um, for two like starter homes. Right. Um, and so and then, by doing that, um, then we were able to say, okay, well, um, we're not taking this home equity line of credit and using it to go buy things that don't make us money. Right. It's, we're not using it to buy toys, like we're not using it to buy a vehicle or a boat or, you know, any of that stuff. Instead, no, this is basically strictly going to be used to purchase an investment property. And mm -hmm. because of that, uh, when it comes to say, you know, looking at the down payment um, and where that down payment is coming from, you're able to then show the lender, hey, this is where this down payment is coming from. And then we just used that um, that interest payment that was um, going to be paid on that down payment as again an expense in the uh, in the analysis on that property and said okay this is still you know going to cash flow even with this down payment um, that is coming from a like from a line of credit like yeah exactly we're going to able to pay that interest from the the rent mm -hmm. and then we're able to then say okay well that is completely an expense of the business and able to. Um, I should write that off. Yeah, write that off. So that's yeah, because you can you can write off the interest portion of that uh, borrowed money that you use to invest in real estate. So yeah, uh, to, to clarify, there there is there is a cost associated with that money that you borrow, and typically it's a little bit more than what your mortgage interest rate is. So say it's around three or four percent, and a lot of people are like, whoa, I don't want to pull money and then pay interest on it. But if you think about the money that you're going to make from that investment. You know what I mean? You're investing it into a, you know, a $300,000 asset that's, that's making you, you know, what's your return on that down payment? I mean, 15, 20%, somewhere on that range. And you can justify paying that three or 4% on the borrowed money because you're collecting that spread. That this is essentially how you start leveraging and, and creating that compounding effect. Right. And I think the biggest thing is to recognize that we're not actually paying any money on it. Like right. so long as the property is able to cover that debt servicing and have cash flow after the fact, that's everything. Your tenant is uh, actually paying for it. <laughs> exactly. And so it's it, it would either just be equity sitting in our condo doing nothing and we had get, we're getting nothing for it, or we're able to pull that out, purchase an asset that is able to cover the interest on it and pay down that mortgage and you know have whatever appreciation or cash flow is coming from that investment property. Mm -hmm. It's it's so powerful. You, you, real estate leverage. I, as someone just asked me recently, what's your favorite thing about real estate? Leverage. You can leverage it. You can't you can't buy a, a stock or an asset um, for for twenty percent down in the stock market. You know what I mean? Right. You can't leverage you know the bank's money. You can't leverage the equity that you have in, in existing properties to buy more properties. It's 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 so amazing how creative you can be. And, and a lot of people just don't know about that. They think I don't have money. That means I can't invest, right? Yeah, there's 
it's interesting. It's always places where you've got money, whether mm -hmm. that's in, yeah, like um, either, yeah, in your equity or, um, yeah, or other things like that, or RSPs or other places where you may have capital that's just sitting there, uh, potentially not earning a return that you could be leveraging. So. Mm -hmm. And then obviously leveraging, you know, the expertise of a real estate investor who knows how to do it as well, right? Um, I think that was crucial for us. Again, before that acre, did we know to go and change our mortgage product to a home equity line of credit that we could write off? And, mm -mm. and like Zoria hit on first is we got education. And we, uh, again, the Real Estate Investment Network had that program where you could go in knowing nothing and you can come out of there and understand how to buy an investment property using market fundamentals and be able to actually and have the confidence to do it. Yeah. And you know, we jumped in both feet, bought two properties and it was interesting because after that course, we were analyzing four different deals. We knew, okay, that's the one we're going to buy in 15 minutes over a bowl of soup. <laughs> it wasn't, <laughs> uh, it became just down to numbers, which we like. Yeah. It just made me get at that point. <laughs> Well, and the, the Real Estate Investment Network also gives you those tools. They give you the spreadsheet to put that in, like just like, da, 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 you know, like type it all in and then boom, there's your number. The property scorecards, yeah. Yeah, the scorecards and all those tools. So yeah, you really come out equipped coming out of those acres and the different kinds of events that they put on, having just the knowledge base and the tools to just, like you said, both feed in, let's do this. Exactly. Yeah. And to know, oh, well, we have to pull title beforehand. You have to be looking at, you know, like um, looking where your risks lie to understand where all of the risks can be in the acquisition of a property and to have that confidence. It really just made it say, okay, let's go pull the trigger. And so it got rid of all the fear. Knowledge spells fear in pretty much anything that you do. And that's what we found with real estate investing is, okay, we now know enough to be, you know, competent to go out and purchase the stuff, not, you know, not super experienced with it, but enough to basically get started. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I want to change directions, change gears a little bit. And my little one's staring at me. Hey, kiddo. <laughs> <laughs> I want to change directions and start talking about your business because most people, they jump right into residential, which is normally the cheapest uh, investment, normally the simplest investment. But you guys just went straight for multifamily. And I admire that because most people don't do that until a little later on. But you guys just um, you were really interested in multifamily and I just, I'm a little curious why and, and what made you choose that? Well, it was a journey because we didn't jump straight to multifamily first. So our first two properties that we purchased were residential. Mm -hmm. and, then, cool. um, and then afterwards, you know, we saw that and we saw our system um, and were able to use that and then purchased a couple more properties, though this time with, with partners. Um, so we did a couple of deals back in 2014 um, with joint venture partners. Right. And at the time... Um, towards the end of 2014, that's when the price of oil started to really sink and there was a lot of uncertainty in Alberta. And so at the time, instead of saying, okay, we're going to go all in and, and continue acquisition mode, we tapped the brakes and say, you know what, we don't want to over leverage ourselves. We want to make sure that our property state, um, stay filled. And so it really became around, you know, improving our business and keeping it systemized, so to speak, um, make sure our, our tenants were uh, in place, that our properties were well-maintained and that we weren't having to worry about that. So yeah, making sure we could just ride out this recession. Right. So we, weren't, so we had four properties, yeah, we weren't really in a rush to buy that anymore. It wasn't until two years later or three years later that we um, bought our fifth one with a joint venture partner. And then a year later, we bought our sixth one also with a joint venture partner. But that was all residential. 
I don't, I don't want to, I'm going to come back to the multifamily, but I want to, because you brought up something very interesting in the recession, what were some key things that you guys put in place and focused on to make sure that you were able to ride out that recession? So some of it was when, um, when the properties went vacant, um, which they do, sometimes people have to move on or, or move back to a different province or whatnot. It was getting in there as quickly as possible to um, you basically make sure that it was a quality product compared to everything else that was on the market so that it was still attractive uh, and able to be rented out. So in some cases that meant right. yeah, immediately getting in there, new carpet, new paints, new fixtures on everything because it was a little dated. And even though um, that and spending some money, it also meant that as soon as that was done, it was tentative. Mm-hmm. And so basically just making sure that they were well-maintained and, uh, and well-marketed. Yeah, and I would say setting, working with our property manager to set the rent at market rent and not trying to get more of it because it would just sit vacant. Set it, set it's it market worth getting a market and then one, right? Yeah. yeah, like it's worth getting a little bit less and get it tenanted right away. But mm-hmm. to have several months worth of vacancy, that's more expensive. So, yeah, so we had to drop our rent and it still is down, but um, we were able to ride through. <laughs> it meant that, uh, yeah, like our rents went from, well, they probably dropped 25% in many of the areas that we were investing. Yeah. And so we basically said, okay, it went from being, you know, quite positive and, um, and you know, comfortable cash flow to being mm-hmm. pretty even. And so then it became really important to make sure that you're not having those vacancies um, because yeah, when you're trying to float a vacancy and, and pay a mortgage and, and your expenses, it, that becomes too much. So again, if you have like in our case at the time, we had four properties. If now, like if you have four vacancies, that would be a, a big burden on us, um, regardless of whether we're working or not. Right. And so we wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to be a burden on us. And, um, and so we were able to do so and, and basically make it through. Yeah. And so that also, you know, shows the importance of a good reserve fund and having good cash flow as a buffer. A lot of people just think that, you know, they're just going to spend that money and it's always going to be there. But the the purpose of the cash flow is not just to to pay yourself, it's also to plan for uh, maintenance, vacancies. And also if the market does take a little bit of a dip, you've got that cushion that you can lower your rent by 25% and still cover your expenses, right? Because you don't want it to affect your personal family. You don't exactly. want to affect your home. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you very much for touching on that because I didn't want to. I didn't want to uh, jump over it. Uh, but let's let's get back to your multifamily and and why you guys decided to uh, to make that change. Sure. Well, I think it started when we did our last deal. So our la- like our last residential property that we bought. Like we were always we've always been focused on cash flow and finding properties that cash flow. So after like those ones that we had were basically break even, we needed to find something different. We couldn't just find like single family homes just weren't working as well. Yeah. So we ended up buying a brand new house with an in-law suite and a garage suite. And we had a much better cash flow with that, like four hundred to five hundred dollars a month. In the down economy. Yeah, in a down economy. As opposed to the break even properties. So yeah. And, and garage suites are pretty cool. Uh, they're, they're getting more and more popular in, in our market right now in Edmonton. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the garage suite? Is it, you know, how big is it? Is it a one bedroom? Is it a, is it a bachelor? Is, what's it like? Uh, it's actually, yeah, we have a two car garage in the back, detached, and then there's a two bedroom suite above it. Wow. Um, and so we were able to, they're like not massive bedrooms, but um, you can get more rent for a two bedroom than a, than a one bedroom. So we Absolutely. decided to go that route. So and and a lot of people find that a lot more appealing than being in a basement, right? 
Yeah. It's oh, yeah. a completely separate apartment. No shared walls. Um, they have their own garage downstairs. So um, our tenant has a, you know, a vehicle that they would like to, like a nicer vehicle, and they wanted to keep that inside. Um, so imagine having basically a, uh, it's almost like a small, yeah, like a small house where you've got a single car garage, two bedroom upstairs, no shared walls, um, you know, nice lighting and, you know, essentially a view of the properties around. But so it was, uh, it was quite nice then for the, uh, for the garage tenant. And then similarly, the, the house tenant is a, or their young family there um, who have a roommate, um, their roommates in the basement, they're upstairs, um, their young family just had a, uh, a newborn and it's worked out really well for them because now they have the garage space. They've got a, a nice new property that, um, that they really are really enjoying um, in a nice area and whatnot. So it's, it's allows us to attract the type of tenants that we, uh, that we're looking for and, uh, and the ones who wants to be in your property. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't. Right, the garage is actually split and like there's a wall in between the two. Oh, yeah. So that's, um, yeah, that's something really important where, so nothing is shared. They're not sharing that garage. Yeah. They go oh, into their own bay and then out their own exit of the garage to their house. That is cool. I don't like uh, to support the millennial gimmick. I know there's a lot of reports in the avocado toast and that kind of stuff. Being <laughs> older millennials, I, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's not us. So it's, but there are a lot of younger people, whether you call them millennials, or whatever you call them, that actually are really interested in stuff like this. It's, it's hip. It's cool. They're all very modern because they're, you know, they're, they're renovated. They're brand new lots of natural lighting and it's 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 an alternative to old apartment buildings and basement suites you know for that price point so it's it's super cool i've got a bunch of properties that um now that they're allowing three suites on per per lot i am strong i'm looking doing a lot of research on adding them onto all of our uh, properties um nice. because i think it's just a cool alternative and even G gabby and i've even talked about it you know if Let's let's scale down a little bit. We don't need a full house. Let's let's live in the garage suite. You know what I mean? It's it's exciting. It's super <laughs> cool. And, and and I love watching um, you know the progress of, of you guys uh, online and seeing you know um, you guys getting possession of that in the videos and stuff. And it's really cool. Yeah, that property again. It was it was really nice to have something that was so catered like catered so well to um, yeah to a, a, as a rental and. Uh, where it just kind of ticked all the boxes and it did a really nice job of, um, yeah, of satisfying the needs of the tenants. Mm -hmm. I guess the reason we didn't just get more of those was like, we knew that at that point, yeah, you need at least two units in a property for it to cash flow. Right. And I think one of the main reasons we didn't just continue getting more properties like that, first of all, it's kind of hard to find lots to build them. Um, but also, um, the mortgage the qualification process, has really changed. And so that was actually really difficult for our joint venture partners. And to the point that they said, we would never want to do that again. Like really just, so we knew that we needed to find something better than that. Yeah. So although the property was great, the returns are great. The, um, like as an investment, it's a very good investment. It has to be, you know, something that's simple. And, um, you know, recently too, the market, like just the, um, the stock market, has been doing well and you know like if we're talking about years ago right and so when a uh, an investor is looking at whether they should be putting something into the market or putting something into real estate it has to basically be something that they can 
that they can stand. And if, for example, this, although the investment is good and the returns are good, if it is too much of a pain or too complicated or anything like that, um, and they're confused or it's just frustrating, well, they're going to look at something different. And right. so, you know, that was the feedback that we, you know, what we were getting to say, okay, well, what, el- what other alternatives do we have then to make lending easier? And that's when we recognize the, uh, the potential in multifamily or in commercial lending, where no longer is a investor having to personally qualify for a mortgage. Instead, they are, um, well, the, the building or the property uh, is able to then uh, support, well, uh, qualify for the lending. And can you touch a little more on that and how the, the qualification is different in, in, um, from a residential mortgage purchase? How is it different? Yeah, so how is the qualifying difference? So um, from what I understand, multifamily, you typically you, you buy it as a corporate, it, it qualifies for itself, correct? Yeah, so the lenders are looking at the building like as a business and seeing whether the income of that business can support all the expenses, whether it can, quali- like the building is qualifying. They're looking at the income and expenses of the building, not your personal income and expenses. And whether you can pay for the mortgage, it's whether the building and that business can um, pay for the mortgage. So the rents are super important on that. Yeah. It's all about the income that the property is producing. You still do need to personally guarantee the loan. So you do need a certain net worth um, from somebody to guarantee that loan. But um, suddenly you can qualify for a lot more than you can in residential. Because we were tapped out with mortgages like probably could have gotten one more, but um, this way we can actually get a lot more properties. Yeah, it helps you scale. Yeah. Know, just, yeah. We all run into the same issue. I mean, you've got great jobs. I got a great job, but yeah, you start hitting that wall because just the way the math is calculated by the lenders, it's just not possible. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's why most people naturally progress to multifamily and they start liquidating their smaller, less performing houses and start focusing on bigger, large scale stuff because it's easier. Right. And it's interesting just how quickly things change when we first got started, you know, it was, you know, almost a recommendation that after a certain number of properties, um, your portfolio could qualify for like, it basically would look at it and it could debt service itself and, mm-hmm. uh, and, okay, then you can just keep on growing. And it really wasn't a, like there wasn't a ceiling. You could lay it out and basically say, well, your first four or your first lender should be this lender for these four properties and the next lender for the next four. And you could basically continue to grow that way. Well, things have changed a lot. And so with that, again, you always have to be working with a really good mortgage broker who understands real estate investing. Mm -hmm. And again, the, the great advice that we would get when we first started two years later, was not what you wanted to do. And then two years after that, well, it's, it's different again. And so this has kind of been the evolution that we've gone through where we realize, okay, um, we know where we're currently at, that could change in the future, but where we're currently at, um, and with say, um, stress tests and uh, mortgage qualification caps, uh, we said, okay, let's, uh, let's explore commercial lending for our next deal. Yeah. Mm. So basically financing was one of the main reasons to get in and then also, we wanted to grow bigger and we saw it as like a way that we could grow faster and because of the economies of scale. So we really thought that you know, buying a 20 unit building is going to be a lot of work, but it's going to be less work and easier than buying 20 houses. 
Interesting. So what kind of education did you guys, you know, that's important to you guys getting the proper education. So where did you source that out and what kind of courses did you take for multifamily? So I first, I took Pierre Paul Turgeon's multifamily investing in Canada course. Mm -hmm. And it was actually, it did the online version and the in-class, which was really good. Um, that was gave us a really good basis um, because Pierre Paul used to work as an underwriter for CMHC and has bought a lot of properties in Edmonton. And so that was that was a really good starting point. Um, it was kind of the equivalent of an acre for yeah. multifamily. Yeah. So it was really around you know the how do you make it so it is possible to acquire a you know multifamily building. So uh, everything from securing financing again, which is huge. So in understanding all the ins and outs associated with that, as well as doing your due diligence on a multifamily property then. Um, so yeah, that, that became again, knowledge just fell sphere. That was the knowledge that it said, okay, yeah, this is possible, this is doable. And we feel that we understand the risks going into it and how to manage some of those risks. And then after that, so that yeah, covered kind of what the risks are in multifamily and how, and and the whole process of how would you go about buying one? Because it is completely different than residential, like the process of buying a multifamily and even finding the deal. Mm. Um, and then after that, I found um, that, like we found that coaching really helps when in real estate as well. So I also um, started working with Edna Keep, mm -hmm. with, um, who was also a multifamily expert and just have been doing kind of ongoing coaching with her since, for the last year almost. That's How has that been? It's been really good. It's, yeah. it's like a specific, like a laser coaching where I have just like short sessions, um, but it's great to be able to get my questions answered and getting like another perspective and getting just tips and suggestions of how to move forward when we're stuck. Mm -hmm. And so what kind of, uh, how have you gotten stuck? What kind of roadblocks have you guys hit so far? Um, because multifamily is a lot slower than residential. There's a lot more due diligence, a lot longer to find the right property, you know, that fits your criteria. Um, so what kind of roadblocks have you guys run into so far? Well, yeah, so I think, I think that it's going to be really important for anybody who's in multifamily to really understand what they're getting into and what type, like what their, their parameters are for a property. Mm -hmm. So then getting into this, what we recognized was, okay, well, let's walk before we run and, and trying to determine what was our first, what was going to be our first deal um, was important. And as we were going through this, as we were getting out there, letting people know that this was our, our change in strategy our shift in strategy, mm -hmm. um, we were able to come across a, um, yeah, like our next deal, the one that we're working on right now. And it's a new build as well. So this one is building a sixplex, um, which is, and imagine it as um, just a triplex set of townhouses in a row okay. with the first floor being a one bedroom apartment. And then the second and third floors being a three bedroom apartment. And so, Super cool. so it's kind of like, uh, it's very similar to our, um, our garage suite idea where you, again, having more proper or like more suites in a, um, like in a package mm -hmm. and uh, with this too, we then we're working with the builder to try and modify it to make it so that it's very, again, tenant, like a, it can really work to attract that tenant. So mm -hmm. doing things like 
um, putting in single garages in the back so that um, the downstairs tenants can have a garage and the upstairs tenants can have a garage, which are their own separate, um, you know, like phase um, and they have their own access and everything like that. Doing modifications to the property to make sure that access and um, and access to say utility rooms and stuff like that, which are shared, are then secure and and whatnot. So, in going through that, we found that type of a deal, and it's allowed us to now build our systems in multifamily. So we we're talking about challenges. Well, every step along the way is a challenge, especially when you haven't done it before. Right. And so, um, setting up your corporate structure is a challenge, especially if you've never done that before. So that's something that Dory is going through right now in terms of setting up the, um, yeah, the- Unanimous shareholders yeah. agreement. Yeah, yeah the, the corporate structure. Um, that's then, something I wanted to touch on too, because there's a key difference between a, a shareholders agreement and a joint venture agreement, right? Yeah. Yeah, at first, actually I thought they weren't too different, but um, yeah, a shareholders agreement is, it actually allows more flexibility for shareholders to come and go with a joint venture agreement. That is a specific agreement for a specific purpose with specific people, and it doesn't have as much flexibility. And that's normally is fine when you're doing residential when you're partnering with one other person. But we, um, it's a, it's more typical in commercial to create a corporation and. And then you don't have a joint venture agreement, you have a shareholders agreement. So there's some similarities, but there is a difference between the two. So okay. we've, and being in a new build, we've had basically the flexibility that we've had some time to figure this out. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing is the financing too is a lot different. So we're getting commercial financing for the first time, but luckily because we have this whole period of time that they're building, we can like you take our time. We have the time to apply for financing yeah. and figure that process out. How is the commercial financing different? Is it, how are the interest rates, the terms, that kind of thing? Do you no, have to put 20% down or? Not for this one. Like typically with commercial, you do have to put at least 20% down, mm -hmm. but because it's a brand new building, um, we, and we're going with CMHC insured mortgage, we can put as little as 15% down. That's awesome. And we can also get a 40 year amortization, which is like unheard of in residential. Yes. And the interest rates are pretty good. Like they were quoting us between two and two and a half. And that was before the current interest rate drop. So I'm hoping like we're, we're going to be getting a pretty good interest rate. That's going to be amazing cash flow for you and the investors. Yeah. So that's like the main, that was really cash flow is the main criteria mm -hmm. for our buildings. And we kind of used our previous garage suite property as a benchmark and we wanted our next property to be like that or better. And this is kind of like buying three garage suited properties all at the same time. Right. Cash flowing about $400 each. One simple mortgage, one simple lot. That's, that's really cool. How are you guys sourcing your, um, your, your shareholders or your joint venture partners for this property? Uh, and, and typically who are you looking for in, in this type of property? What kind of investor are you looking for? Well, historically, what we've done is, again, it's our investors have been friends and family. Those are the types of folks who we're, um, who we're going for for that. Now, when it comes to um, for, to commercial stuff, um, well, maybe, you can, maybe you'd like to speak sure. to this one. Um, yeah, well, there's our preference, but there's also like there's guidelines that we need to follow as far as like securities commission. And it gets a lot more 
important when you start getting into commercial and bringing multiple partners together. So we kind of have a um, guideline or there's only a certain people that we can actually have as shareholders. And those mm -hmm. are friends, family, business associates, and um, people that qualify as accredited investors. We, we kind of like it that way anyways. You know what I mean? It yeah. works for us because I, I, I don't want to work with strangers. I don't, you know, maintaining those relationships and, and making sure they flourish and grow. It's important, I think, to, to help family and friends. You know, those are easy relationships you already have. And, you know, if we're going to grow, we want people close to us to grow as well, right? Mm -hmm. And, and to, to be able to reap the value of that. Yeah. And so it's important that you're able to then work with those investors, right? And that um, your relationships are something that, um, that you can kind of, yeah, like you were saying, foster and, um, and build together. Uh, the last thing you want to do is, you know, go and purchase a, you know, a, a large building or, um, or any property for that matter, because it's not like a paper asset where it's like, okay, we're done. We're just going to sell it. You know, there's work associated with it. And so mm -hmm. you want to be able to make sure that when things get hard and they will, um, that you're able to work through those things. So if, for example, something bad does happen, you know, we want them to know, like have the trust that we'll, or like we'll be able to just go in, take care of that, but then that they'll also be fully um, kept up to speed on exactly what's been changing. Um, you know, the, the problems that we've been coming up with, the solution that we found so that there's that good communication between the, uh, yeah, between them and between us. And the last thing, you know, that we want is to, you know, for them to feel like they have to be involved in the investment. They want to know about it. Like they should know about it, yes. but they shouldn't have to solve the problems. That is, or be so, stressed out about the problems. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you guys are working on this six bucks right now. That's currently under construction, right? You guys are pretty much just shovels on the ground right now, aren't you? Almost. Almost. Yeah. yeah. We're just for ruin drawings. We need to uh, wait for the permits. And which will probably take another month and then we'll, they're going to start building. That's yeah. exciting. It should be done by the end of the summer. That's exciting. And so are you guys already planning for the next step once that's done and that's all up and running that business? Do you guys know what you're going to be focusing on next? Well, it is basically the, the thing we were focusing on before, before we found the sixplex, which is buying like an older multifamily building mm -hmm. and something between 12 and 20 units. Um, so that is something because we want to take advantage of the other advantage of multifamily is forced appreciation. Mm -hmm. So it's actually being able to increase the value of the building by increasing the rent. So you can't can really you, uh, do that. Can you go a little deeper into that? It's because even for me, I've done some research in multifamily and man, I'm still confused by it. <laughs> well, it goes back to like how multifamily buildings are valuated. <clears throat> it's not as much a comparison approach with like residential, like what other buildings are going for. It's more has to do with what the income of the building is or what that income of that business. Which determines um, the cap rate, correct? Which, no, the income, you take the income, you divide okay. it by the cap rate, and then you get the value of the building. Gotcha. And the cap rate is usually set for an area. It's an indication of the risk of that area and the risk of the property. So you don't really get to pick your cap rate. It's kind of decided and for a certain area. Like you'll have a higher cap rate outside of Edmonton and smaller towns because the risk is higher. You'll have a lower cap rate for like high rise buildings in Edmonton because it's just a lower risk. Okay. So what you do have control over is the income. 
So you can increase the income of that property by increasing the rent, by doing renovations, by putting in better management. You can actually increase the rent and that directly will increase the value of the property. Each individual unit and then, yeah, as a total, the value of the property. That's so cool yeah. how different that is. And so again, it's not just increasing rent because we're talking about income, so it's also lowering expenses. Right. If you, you know, see an opportunity where, um, you know, a building is poorly managed and or like hasn't been managed well over the last several years, um, and the expenses are really, really high, and maybe they haven't, um, you know, brought rents up to market, uh, market value, maybe they're distant landlords, whatever it might be. Those are the opportunities where you'd say, okay, let's, um, maybe it's got deferred maintenance, get the units up to par, um, you know, then you can bring the rents up with that. And if they've got high expenses, then we'd say, okay, well, here's an area where we can save on utilities or, you know, other things that, uh, that you're paying for. And, um, and again, drive that expenses down so that your net operating income increases. And as a result, your overall building value increases. So, so, so what other things can you focus on to, to increase the value of the property? Like what other improvements can you do? So any areas where you can actually, um, yeah, any areas where you're able to find value for a tenant. Um, right. So if you're, say for example, have, don't have laundry, like, or like they have to go to a laundromat or something like that, um, installing in-suite laundry um, or having a, a laundry room or a laundromat um, in the building. So then you'd say, okay, well, here's now another source of income whether it's coin operated or token operator or whatever that might be. Um, but then you can look at other areas like parking. Um, any, you can get creative with that stuff. Yeah, because exactly. even just increasing the rent by 50 to $75 can have a pretty dramatic effect, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, like our, the base focus would be to just renovate the units cosmetically so that they're willing to pay more. And we realize that we only need to increase the rent by like $100 over five years to be able to refinance the property and take out our initial down payment out. Okay, so, so increasing it, refinancing it, pulling out your investment and then recycling those funds. And now you own this property. You have right. none of your own initial investment. You have your forced appreciation um, in the equity, so that's your profit. And then you just recycle the money and buy other properties. Correct. Which is essentially what we're doing with residential, but it just I never really quite, you know, that's, that's a really cool, you can do that with multifamily as well. It's almost like Burr for you know, on a bigger scale, right? It's very similar to that. And so, yeah, like, again, if you find those places that don't have dishwashers, but tenants like are looking for, you know, modern amenities, um, if you install a, yeah, a, you know, a few hundred bucks for a dishwasher or actually um, get that type of stuff there and they're willing to pay another $25, $50 a, a month for rent for, to have that luxury, mm -hmm. that, you know, that's your opportunity. That's your business model. What a cool opportunity for the investors as well, eh? Yeah. Right. Yeah, because our plan would not even, not just to be able to pull out the down payment, but also the renovation costs or whatever you put mm -hmm. in. So that is our criteria when we are analyzing properties is, can we pull out all of our initial capital back in five years? Wow. And, and not to touch, not to, to give away the, the secret sauce or anything, but like, you know, which particular markets are you guys um, looking at? Just Edmonton or are you guys looking outside or different provinces? We're focusing on Edmonton. Yeah. We find it's important to be like, first of all, it's the, still the top place in Alberta to invest. Yes. And also just being here, we, we want to be close to the property because there can be a lot of expenses, um, unnecessary expenses 
having someone else go to the property all the time when something's wrong and when we are going to be doing a, like a renovation project we want to be nearby so that we can keep an eye on it so i think it's Manage important managers yeah um so yeah we like at this point investing where we live but also edmonton is a great place to invest and there's advantages of you know where the lot is going and the infrastructure um so we yeah it's a pretty that. amazing market mm -hmm. Like there's just a lot of opportunity here too. Like when we, when you know what's coming, so, um, you know, Valley Line South or Valley Line West, um, and you're able to say, okay, well, this is coming. Um, it's funded in the case of South, it's, yep, there's the South side's funded. Yeah, well, and there's, um, mm -hmm. there's shovels in the ground. There is big action being taken there. You know, what's coming and you know what the, like you can see ahead and, and position yourselves to be able to capitalize on that. And so, yeah, that'll be the focus on that is, really utilizing, you know, the, the investment that the city is putting into itself and, you know, kind of getting ahead of that wave. There's in, in, in Edmonton in a, is such a diverse market too. It's not completely oil reliant, reliant, you know what I mean? There's so much different stuff going on and, and they're putting a ton of money into infrastructure, right? Um, to continue to grow it. Um, as we start to wind down in the interview, um, one other thing I want to talk about before we go, is is your is your family dynamic and, and as you continue to grow as investors um how if you could have it perfectly how would you uh like to grow with your children like do you want them to be involved do you want them to see what you guys are doing you know would you would you love for them to to carry the torch or would you like them to you know maybe create their own path my initial thoughts is um what i'd really like to do is be able to ensure that the, um, you know, the values that are, you know, generated with, you know, say building a business or, or just doing a job or anything like that are instilled in, um, like in our children. So, uh, I know those say like, I really look up to say, for example, my parents and my father, um, they worked very, very hard and, you know, but they always made time for the kids, right? So like for me and my sister, and we were always spending time together and it was uh, very important you know, that would be Saturdays and Sundays, you know, that was family time and stuff. And, you know, even the, the mornings or the evenings, you know, we do whatever we could to, you know, you spend time with my father and, and my mom was, was great as we were growing up. But, you know, as a result though, um, when growing up, I learned the value of a dollar, right? Like, when, like it doesn't, nothing comes for free. You have to work hard for it. And, um, and so regardless of whether we're doing real estate or working or whatever it might be, those are the types of values that we like, or that I would like to instill. Um, but of course, if you can, you know, teach that mindset, teach that, um, that ethic and whatnot for your kids along the way, that's huge. And so that is something that's very important to me. Yeah. Yeah. We would want to get our kids involved in real estate so they understand about it because it's something we never really grew up understanding or I had no idea, even up until university, I really didn't know that being an entrepreneur was a thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just like you go to school, you get a job and you get a good career. Um, so I think being able to now teach them about that possibility. I don't want to ever force them to do this business or um, I would want them to be free to do whatever they want to do. But being able to expose um, our kids to the possibility that you can own your own business is great. Yeah, right. To, to be able to learn that early on rather than waiting until their 20s, right? And have yeah. to themselves. Just, it's all about opportunities, right? 
I mean, we bought our first property 10 years ago and it feels like we did everything wrong. Yeah. We didn't use a realtor. Um, we bought it from, from friends. Although we pulled title and stuff like that, we found that there were multiple liens on it and stuff like that. And these weren't red flags. So we just said, oh, well, maybe we should look at something different. We didn't review condo documents beforehand. Like we just, we didn't know um, what we didn't know. Right. And, um, but you know, to be able to pass along that knowledge to our kids right from the get go so that they would say, Hmm, you know, if I was to buy my first property, what should that be? Well, maybe I can get a bunch of roommates and, um, and be able to move in and then, for example, live for free as they go to school or something like that. Right. Like just mm -hmm. to understand that those possibilities exist, right. um, I think is, is super powerful. And I, you know, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of that is going to, to rub off just simply by being around it. And, um, you know, as so we have those conversations about different types of deals and creative ways to purchase property and, and whatnot. So. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I want to thank you guys so much uh, for being on the podcast. Um, you're truly an inspiration to, to, to families and, and investors who, who, are, who are trying to build something for themselves, you know, with a job, with a family. Um, it just shows that, you know, if you really want something and, and you're truly passionate about it, then you can get anything done, right? Um, so thank you very much. And if anyone wants to reach out to you or find you, um, how do they do that? I think the best way is to go to our website and there's Bree.ca, B-R-E-I.ca. Mm -hmm. And there you can go to the contact page and see several ways to contact us. Um, we also have a newsletter that we send out to keep in touch. And there's a place on the website to sign up for that. And if you sign up for that, you'll see some really cute videos with Cassian. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys are starting to grow your YouTube channel as well. I'm starting to see a lot more videos. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's kind of what we send out in the newsletter also goes on the YouTube channel. Awesome. Well, and thank you, Wayne and Gabby. You put together, you know, some awesome content. And it's really cool to see, you know, the leadership that you're taking in the community and, and what you're bringing together here with uh, the Investor Data Podcast. Oh, thank well, you so thank much. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Okay, thanks again. Take care. Bye yeah. now.